I was glad to see this morning that we started at one past ten. We nearly got to ten o'clock. We're so close. We are so close. You have my word that we will be a church that starts at ten o'clock. So I was excited to see one to ten, and now we're working on that last 60 seconds, and we'll, we'll be winning. All right? Why don't we pray? Why don't you, we believe together? We're going to do two things. We're going to pray for our Prime Minister and the upcoming election, and then I want you to just, if you're comfortable... I want you to just lift something before God for yourself, if you're comfortable with that. If you're not, just stand there silently, pray in your mind. But those of you who are bold, let's believe for in a moment right now that something supernatural would go on. I don't know about you, but if church was just about religious tradition, for me, I'd sleep in and go to a cafe. I come to worship Jesus, believe that his spirit gathers in the midst of us, that his word goes to work in us, and that something could go on in the gathering of what the Bible calls the saints. That is supernatural, that you can't get anywhere else. This can't happen at Rotary. It can't happen at the, you know, the local book club that you're part of, but the spirit of God turning up in the midst of his people. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for the upcoming election. Lord, we thank you that we live in a democratic society where we all have the privilege to vote. God, we pray, Lord, especially for our Prime Minister right now. Lord, we pray as he wakes this morning, may he sense your spirit upon him. Lord, just like David as he would go into battle. Lord, I just pray for a sense of your spirit leading him and guiding him. We pray even now you'd give him words to speak, strategies to take, courage to stand. Lord, conviction on things that matter regardless, Lord, of what um, Lord um, others might say. May he stand for you in a wise and Lord um, way, we pray. Lord, we pray for this election, uh, for your will to be done in our nation. Lord, we recognize, Lord... Um, Lord, the corruption at the core of humanity, and we just pray you'd have grace upon us. You'd extend your favour towards us as you have now for a long, long time. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. We just pray for everybody here today. The need in this room would be just, Lord, so diverse. It's impossible for someone like me, Lord, to meet the need of a room like this, but it is possible for you. You're able to take the same words and move by your spirit and meet every need in the place. Speak to every heart, do a work in every life. And so that's what we're praying for right now in Jesus' name. And people said, amen, amen. amen. Why don't you say hello to someone else and we'll get right on, right on into this. Um, Acts chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, going to come up on the screen for you. And, um, but other Jews were jealous, so they're, um, Peter, I think it is, and uh, John are, are, are preaching to the crowds. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Like that sounds like a scene from a great movie, doesn't it? But, but this is what's breaking out. They rushed to Jason's house, who was a believer, in search of Paul and Silas. Sorry, that's who was preaching. In order to bring them out to the crowd. Listen to this next verse. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. In another version it says, these who have turned the world upside down have now come here. I like that idea. I like the idea that those of us who believe in Jesus are meant to turn the world upside down in the best possible way. My thought on that is you can't live the way culture would say is right side up and turn the world upside down. There has to be something fundamentally different about a follower of Jesus for the world we live in to be turned upside down in the best possible 
way. Um, I've written here, they were ruined for normal. I like that idea. Ruined for normal. I went to church until uh, I was about 10 or 11 years old, made a decision to commit my life to Jesus. My mum walked away. We walked away with her just being kids. And I didn't come back until I was 21 years old. And the reason I didn't come back was not that I didn't believe in God. I absolutely did. Um, I don't know if I've said it here. Uh, those of you who was around in the 70s, some of you were around in the 70s, right? I was a little kid. And in 1980, I remember being in kids' church and it, like, they wouldn't let you do it now. They showed us a movie called like um, The Day After or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like a rapture movie, those of you who understand. To us little kids. Now, I'm sure it would be banned from kids' church today, but I'm so thankful to God that I got to see it for the next 11 years of my life. I would wake up and thinking of that razor and the person has been catapulted to heaven and everybody else has been left behind, you know. And So I'd go in and check my mum's room every single day of my <laughs> teenage life. If mum was there, I had another day before Jesus returned. And so life was good. I don't know why I was telling you the story. But, now I do, and um, here's the thing. The thing that held me back from coming back to Jesus was not that I didn't believe in God, I did. It wasn't that I didn't believe in Jesus, I absolutely did. It was that I knew that if you lived for Jesus, you lived radically different to everybody else. Not weird, just different. I knew that that was how, and so for me, I'm like, I know if I go back, I can't just be a person who goes to church and then lives however the hell they like, that won't cut it. I know that that's not the way Christians live. And, and so through those years, the tension for me is I knew if I come back, what I'm really saying is I'm all in. And unless I'm all in, I'm not ready to go. I'm not ready to go there. And so for years, I just sort of wandered, did my own thing, did what many kids where I grew up did. But deep down, I knew that when you lived for Jesus, you lived for Jesus. And no matter how you're living your life today, if you know anything about the Bible, if you are a follower of Jesus in any way, shape or form, whether you just go to church and then live like a devil or however you live, it doesn't really matter. What I know that you know is that deep down, you know that we should be and can be and are to be ruined for normal, that there should be something so fundamentally different that it should profoundly affect the people that are all around us. It's not a pressure to go out and be weird. Not asking you to give up your job and go down the street. When we were young, we were a little bit more radical than was wise. I remember being with my brother one time and he'd seen this guy carry a cross on wheels around the streets. And so he thought he'd do it. Like, can you imagine there was a single person went, oh, want to do that? <laughs> it was, just wasn't wise. It was passionate. Well, God didn't ask us to go out and be weird. He actually said, live in such a way that the, you make the teaching of Christ attractive to outsiders. That's, and so I like that idea that you and I can live in such a way of deep conviction, of compelling lifestyle, the way we build our marriages, the way we live our life after a failed marriage, whatever it kind of is that we would look on and go, yeah, we can do this differently. That I think we should be ruined for normal and they were definitely that. These guys here were ruined for normal. They were living on mission. Whatever their lives had been, something had fundamentally changed now. I've written here, they had awakened to God and were ruined for normal. They, they couldn't go on living for the weekend. They couldn't go on living week to week. They couldn't go on settling for this pursuit of a comfortable life. How easy would it be to settle for the pursuit of a comfortable life? Now, I think comfortable life's good. 
I live in a comfortable home. I live in probably the most comfortable subdivision on the face of the planet, Kalala Tamworth. It's like Little Texas. Like so many Christians live there because there's a school there. It is a comfortable life. We live in comfortable homes. Many of us drive comfortable cars. But what a tragedy for my Christian life to be reduced to that, the pursuit of comfort for the rest of my life. Building a career of choice. I think we should build careers of choice. I just think we should do something, have a higher purpose with it. Focusing on retirement. Well, we should plan for retirement, but it shouldn't be everything. Generally living for ourselves and building our little life, for them, these guys here, Paul and Silas, it just wouldn't cut it. Something had gone on that meant life as they knew it could never be the same again. And that's what's meant to happen when I become a follower of Jesus. Uh, Even if it's not how I live, this is what I've found, is that somehow when, when the light's gone on and you know, my experience is, as I observe, is that people can never be content again. They'll never be content if they walk away. And I know that because I did that. You just, there's just something gnawing away at you. And you'll never be content if you live half-hearted. And so you're really left with one option. It's called heart and soul for Jesus. Now, of course, the other options are available, but, but it's a waste of a life. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to compel you towards something so that you don't miss out on what God always intended. And so I'm here and going, hey, if I'm going to live for Jesus, let's, let's live for Jesus. In all of our imperfection, in all of our failure, in all of our struggle, let's live for him. Ruined for normal and awakened to more. You and I are called to more than normal, aren't we? We should be ruined for it or what is seen as normal. So let me give you some thoughts on this as we travel through some passages of scripture today number one here's the first thought ruined for normal living for more number one have you made a decision to follow if you've made a decision to follow jesus just don't settle for anything normal if god wanted you to be normal if he wanted me to be normal he wouldn't have given us the bible because the bible's radical it's not normal it's revolutionary if god wanted you and if he wanted me to be normal he wouldn't have given us his spirit we could have done that. We could have done life without his spirit. We, could, we can do normal in our own strength. If God wanted us to be normal, he wouldn't have given us the power of prayer. God has called you, he's called me to something way beyond what is normal to the average punter, to the average person, just living their life, going about their business. Um, we're called to a different way of living. His word, his spirit... Prayer, supernatural promises, all of that suggests that we are called to something more than what everyone else might call normal. And here's what I found, normal isn't quite working anyway. Where do you look and go, man, normal, normal's, that's what I want. Normal's working powerfully. You know what I mean? I'm not, you know what I mean? Like it, it just, you know, there are some things going on in our culture right now. Do you look at it and go, is that insane? But there are some things that are insane, aren't they? Like they are absolutely crazy. And you go, oh, even if you think they're not crazy, if you go to any other generation, any other place in the world, at any point in history, some of the things like, can I go there? Some of you won't like me. Full-term abortion in New York. That's crazy. That's crazy. 
And, 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 and in the same way, not in the same way, in a very different way, there, there are some things that are Christian that are just crazy. And to live nominal, to live normal, to live just living my life, believing in God, but like a practical atheist, that's crazy. Because God has called us to live so much more than that. If you made a decision to follow for Jesus, just let's not settle for normal. Here's a starting place. Listen to this. So, okay, I don't know if I've created heat in the room. Let's, let's just take it out. I don't think any of that was controversial, by the way. So here's what I want you to do. Romans 12 from the Message Translation. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. We can do that, right? Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. I love that line. Recognize quickly what he wants and respond to it rapidly. Some people spend years slowly responding to what is a really obvious change to make. But you know, life would move way beyond normal very quickly just as we go, you know what, I can see it in scripture, I'm going to respond to it. Now, have any of us perfected the art of that? No. But I think there's, there's things we can set up. There are fundamental truths in scripture that really set our lives up to be lived in an unusual way, in a way that's not normal, that is radical, that is blessed, that has power, that is lived with purpose. And I think we want to live there. I thank God for Bron, you know, that, that I don't think Bron and I have ever had a conversation in our married life over, do we tithe, do we give, do we go to church, you know, do we, I don't know, you can write the list. Like, before we were married, those things were settled and we've never had conversations about them since. We might have a conversation about the scale or the detail, but about the principle, not, not, not in 18 years, because there's just no need. They're, they're established. We've determined that we're going to live biblically rather than culturally, and that we're going to live not with the normal of the age we live in, but with the pattern that we see in the pages of Scripture. So take our ordinary, everyday lives and just change it up and live for God. This is the simplest thing we can do. As a starting point, don't change the what, we're just changing the why. I was still doing the same job. One day I wasn't serving Jesus. One day I was serving Jesus. I turned up to the very same job in the very same place, driving the, very, the same car, living in the same house. Nothing had changed and everything had changed. And so just take our everyday life. Bring it before God. Say, God, I'm not here for normal. I'm here to be ruined to normal and awaken to you. Um, as a starting point, just change the why. Same place, same people, higher purpose. Going to work, same place, same people, higher purpose. Going about everything I do, same place, same people, higher purpose. I was still playing rugby league at 40 and um, that is not good for your body. (laughs) And at 39, I decided it's time to give it away. I'd been sitting on the, you have an interchange system and I'd been sitting on the bench, I'd been on, the game was nearly over, there's about eight minutes to go. And all the young guys are sitting on the chairs on the sideline and I'm sitting on the grass next to the chairs because I've got ice pack on my knee, I've got an ice pack on my nose, I've got a needle in my neck to keep it healthy 
and I can't sit on the chair because my body's in too much pain. I remember realising, sitting there thinking, oh, I'm that crazy old guy that's still playing. I'd become him. If you're a football player, you appreciate that. But the reason I'd become him, I came back the next year and played one more year. One, the reason I did that at the age of 40 is my coach, he said, Darren, give me one more season. I said, no, this body's not doing one more season. And he said, go on, just give me one more season. We're at the ground, there's lots of people there. And I said, no, I'm done. And he yells out to everyone, if you give me one more season, I'll come to church. <laughs> and he's a, he's a police officer, this guy, good guy, man of his way. I said, all right, we have a deal. I went through a year of pain for him to come to church once. <laughs> it's a pretty unfair deal, really. But what I know is we only need one crack at him, you know, to get it done. So... So in, in terms of that, it's just a higher purpose. Whatever you're doing, whether it's playing footy or we do the same things, we just do them with a different purpose. We're ruined to normal. The, the idea, I remember when I was young, I was so passionate about footy and um, I was paid to play footy from a young age and I remember being so passionate and then I become a follower of Jesus and I remember being on the field for a grand final. I just spoken in, at a Uniting Church camp. I met the guys at the grand final and we're in the huddle and they're like, this 80 minutes, this is going to be, you're going to remember this for the rest of your life. This is a pivotal moment in time and they're all there and I'm trying not to laugh because I'm thinking, no, it's not really. It's not really a big moment. This is not pivotal to the rest of my life. I am not going to remember this from ever apart from the silliness of this sort of, you know, cliched commentary because we're ruined for normal. I still love it, but I'm there for a very different reason. People ruined for normal are there for higher purpose. People ruined for normal, living more, come to this. Listen to this, the crowd's following Jesus. So the crowds are following Jesus. Jesus gives them this sermon that, well, you could understand why people left. But it says this after it. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to... And he turns to his disciples, right? He says, do you... Sorry, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. When I was a young Christian, if I'm honest, the only reason I did it was because I didn't want to go to hell. I knew about eternity, didn't want to go to hell, and that was the only reason, the singular reason that I surrendered my life to Jesus. And I used to quote this scripture to myself. Say, well, what are my options here? I know God, I know Jesus, that you have the words of life. So whatever my so-called options are, I'm dead to them and I'm going for you. Now, God changes you over time. You realise that he's a loving God. You realise that he's for you. I mean, God has blessed and taken our lives to, in ways and places Bron and I would never have dreamed. God has been amazing to us and eternity is yet to come. But whether we see something in this life or the next, we know that God's for us. We know that he loves us. We know that he's got us and, and it changes over time. But back then it was what it was, and I just had to fix in my heart that where else can I go, Lord? You have the words of life. And, and, and when I come to that place where, Jesus, you have the words of life, I really am out of alternative options. It changes the way, or it should change and can change the way that we um, live. Jesus, you have the words of life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. When, if you have come to believe that, like me, if we've come to believe that, surely that changes absolutely everything from this moment, right now. 
never the same again. There's a proud, profound place to come to and even better than that, it's an extraordinary place to live from. That's what I've found. Alan Fay and my up the back here, um, if you ask them are they new today, they're old from Tamworth. Um, but Alan Fay are two of my longest friends. They've been in our church pretty well since we started. And um, so they're going to find out something that I haven't told people at home. You know, we've seen such extraordinary things over the years. And uh, we had a house fire go through our house, uh, what, nearly two years ago now. And, um, you know, like that's a tragic situation, isn't it? Everyone gets really sad and um, says, oh, it's terrible you went through that. And I'm like, you don't know the real story. You know, the owners of that house, who are good friends of mine, the owners of that house the day after the fire turned up to our temporary accommodation and they said, hey, Daz and Brom, we just want you to know that um, we were going to tell you in three or four years when we'd done it, but we want you to know that we're writing the house over to you guys. That was always our plan and that's what we're going to do. It's a $450,000 home. Now, God might not do that for you, but I know that he's got your back. I know that he's got way more than normal can bring. You know, that story, and so we could tell financial stories all day, Brian and I could, from our life. Incredible provisions of God, church buildings and homes and you name it, we've seen it. And all I know is that God is able to get done what normal never can. And so let's be ruined for normal in the place of the miraculous, in the place of the supernatural in our lives. People ruined for normal and alive to God. Something had gone on. Something was yet to happen for these guys. Something had gone on in Saul and in, uh, Paul and in Tyrus. Terrorists like Paul would become followers of Jesus, prostitutes and doctors, the poor and the powerful, drug addicts and noted historians, politicians, philosophers, blue-collar workers. This is before Jesus has even left the, the planet. People at every stage and from every sphere of life, from every continent, every generation have surrendered their lives to Jesus, never to be the same again. And the challenge for us in our comfortable first world climate is to take our lead from the person down the road who's comfortable in their faith. And, and the power comes when we look at the Scriptures and take on the radical nature of what it says. You know, I don't want my church attendance to be dictated to or influenced by the guy down the road who's living a half-baked Christian life. I don't want the way I approach tithing or giving to be dictated to by someone who's still putting themselves first on that front in their life. I don't want the tone of my life and the way that I live it out before God to be tempted by, to be tra tra uh, trained by someone is just living however the hell they like. Now I want it to be informed by Scripture, don't I? I want it to be compelled. I want it to be stirred. I want it to be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want it to be lived in the light of what I'm commanded and in the light of the promises that God gives. Uh, ruin for normal and to come to that place. People ruin for normal. Uh, here's the next thought. Kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, the Bible says. When a man found it, and he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and brought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and brought it. We were never meant to come to Christ and then to go back to normal. It's just not in God's way of doing anything. We found the pearl of great price and that is meant to fundamentally change everything. And I know for many people in this room, that is the case. Here's a thought. 
If you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. But if you want what a few people have, we have to do what a few people do, don't we? If we want what normal people have, well, just do what normal people do. But if we want what the few have, let's do what the few do. Here are a few thoughts. Number one, take the Bible seriously. It's really obvious, isn't it? Just take it seriously. Uh, I, I, I like to teach our young guys and say there are two ways for, to read the scripture. You know, if we simplify it down, there's, there's discover and decide. So I'm going to discover what it says and decide what I'll do. And there's decide and discover. I've decided that I'm going to do what it is I discover. And one, one is powerful. I think you can work out which one that is. Here's the second thought. We're going to watch a quick clip. Number two is think differently. The few take the Bible seriously, the few think differently. I want you to watch this. Trust me, it's going to make sense. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that. Anyone seen that clip? Anyone know about it? Yeah, right. So that guy's travelled all over the world. He's been to Sydney. He's stages. No one can ride the bike anywhere. And um, I've ridden the bike. And I did tell myself, right, okay, I've watched. So, okay, just go. You can't ride the bike. He's right. I've watched a room try and ride the bike. You can't ride the bike. And the, the lesson is that there are things we need to unlearn if we're going to learn some new things. Um, in fact, after eight months, we got the short clip there. And the longer clip, what he says was after eight months, he couldn't ride a normal bike anymore because he'd rewired his brain. That's interesting, isn't it? What's really interesting about that is that we're going to go to uh, a passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12. What's really interesting as we think about ruin for normal is that many of us, not only do we have to learn some things, but we need to unlearn some things. You and I, we all have ways. I think it's coming up on the screen. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Great verse, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What a great Bible verse. Well before we knew that you couldn't ride a bike when they changed the settings, the Bible was telling us that we need to retrain the way we think. There's patterns of thinking, isn't there? There are patterns of thinking in our mind. There are tracks that our mind naturally goes down. If I mention a certain person's name to you that you know, you have a reaction to them. Some people, it's good. There are other people, if we mention their name to you, you have a different reaction. There are some people where we have to manage our mind, aren't there? You know, what? it's because, why is that? Because our minds have been trained a certain way. Well, the Bible comes along and, and says, hey, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Uh, the word transformed there literally means to have a metamorphosis, right? The metamorphosis, you, you know who has a metamorphosis, you know what? creature in God's creation has a metamorphosis, a butterfly. So have a metamorphosis around the way that you think. And so for all of us, you know, either, either I wonder where your thought life is heading right now because it's, it's pointing us towards normal or it's pointing us towards awaken to God by whether I take my lead from culture or my lead from scripture. Now on the big issues, maybe most people in this room, we take our lead from scripture, hopefully. But where is it that you and I divert from that and get our lead from culture? What, what area of your Christian faith would it be 
that my lead is not from Scripture but is actually from culture? Where would that be if you think about your life? Because I think right there, just in the retraining of our minds, unlearning some things to learn some biblical principles, I think right there is something very powerful to being ruined to normal. be very hard to read the Scriptures every day come to a book like Proverbs every day and continue to run with normal. It, it, it will, if it penetrates our heart and mind, ruin us for normal. So just thinking differently as it comes to some things. Where, where in, in, in the um, message it says, don't be so well adjusted that you fit in seamlessly without thinking um, to the way. Where would it be? Money, relationships... Um, sex, values, where would it be for you that maybe culture, not scripture? Maybe you've nailed it, maybe you've got it all sorted. Um, but I, I know for me, I just want to keep moving in the right um, direction and keep getting it right, even in subtle things. The other week, I was dealing with a negotiation and I was just a bit heavy handed because that's how you get negotiations done. And I had to ring the person back and say, hey, you know what, I'm sorry. That, that is a reasonable way for people to do business. This person knew what I did for a living. I said, but it's not a reasonable way for me to do business. Just want to apologise. Just want to say that we should have had just a normal conversation. I, I put you under a bit too much pressure. I want to make sure that I'm not functioning in normal. I want to be ruined to normal. And I had to be honest that in that instance, I definitely was not ruined for normal. Where is that for you? The few understand that. The few understand the high stakes of people's souls. If you understand the high stakes of people's souls, um, just as they move through life, when, you know, I'm always, I don't know about you, I'm interested when a, when a Christian gets bad service at a restaurant and then treats the staff badly, I'm like, really? Are we really going to act like normal people act? when we've got an opportunity to be so radically different, right? It's just in the subtlety, it's just in the little things. So, so just thinking about people. So I've got a friend who's just brilliant at this. You know, when he hears Christians say anything negative about someone who's a non-Christian, his standard response is, but they're not a believer. Yeah, right. And he's taught me it over the years. And um, he, he, it's his standard statement. He, um, this guy made a mistake. He's a very wealthy guy these days, but he made a mistake on a building project. He, he, he put a shed over somewhere it shouldn't have been in the build design. And so when the people actually went to sell the house years later, um, they, they had a problem. They had to get it redone. He says to them, here are a couple of options. I will pay, like we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. He said, I will pay for whatever work you've got to get done. Or he said, I will buy the house at market value because it's my mistake. That, now that, that's Christian. It's radically different. He is ruined for normal. How powerful is that? And you know what I've found? Blessing just follows him. Blessing just finds him. Because God knows that here's a guy ruined for normal on, in this area of his life. Here, uh, as we wrap with just a few minutes to go, the few get what it means to be and build Jesus' church. Uh, it's an interesting time in the church as I move around. I get to go to lots of places, as you know. And as I move around, th- there's, there's this subtle thing that we don't really need church. Okay. I played football, as I mentioned before. I always noticed there were some guys who thought they didn't need training. 
we all know the end of I didn't need training, right? I mean, you have to be some kind of freak not to be able to train. Of course we need church. And, and so just thinking, we're not to think like normal people when it comes to the gathering of God's people. Acts 2, 41 to 47 talks about they devoted themselves. Devoted. What are you devoted to? These guys put their faith in Jesus and then devoted themselves to each other. Like, it, it's not normal. All the mess. And, and, and you kind of look at Acts 2 and go, yeah, well, you know, they had this utopia going on. Everybody loved everybody. No, they were as human as you and I. It was a mess. We just don't read about the mess because the Bible writes in headlines. But it was a mess. There were people like me in it who were, I don't know, people like Rach in it. So it was good till then. And then, <laughs> but then you guys came and wrecked our party and where to be, where to build the church. They devoted themselves too to gathering in the temple. The Bible says in the courts. They gathered in homes and ate food together. I love that. They, they met and they prayed. They went out and they talked about Jesus. They, they, they saw where needs were. Now, of course, everyone says, yeah, and they lived in a commune. We should go back to that. No, the commune didn't last. In fact, God broke up the commune in no time at all. But he didn't break up the principles of devoted coming together, of listening to the Bible's teachings, of praying, of eating food, of gathering in a big gathering and gathering in a small gathering. God didn't get rid of that. He kept all of that moving forward. And so just around that in our lives. Um, uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Sometimes someone will say to you, won't they? Oh, well, I'm more, you know, I'm more passionate about unbelievers. Great, be passionate about that. Of course we should. But the Bible says, yes, be passionate about that, but even more so do good to those that are inside. Not to be a holy club, not to be a little, you know, the just us, but going, hey, let's make sure our heart is after God's people. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Find someone down, lift them now, uh, up. Find someone in darkness, bring them to the light. And just, you know, as we go, and I think uh, in our lives, I don't know about you, I have to do it in an organised way and an organic way because I find that my life, the pace of life squeezes out the organic. So I have to organise in me living out these scriptures. You're probably the same. I don't know if I've said it here, I get confused. But Bron, one of the things Bron told me last year is, Darren, I just want you to be more spontaneous around, you know, date night. So we do date night and all that kind of thing. I just want you to be more spontaneous. So you know what I did? I organised in my spontaneity. <laughs> I, I just set alarms. Be spontaneous. Well, it was spontaneous for her. It was organised for me. Because what I find is if I don't organise it in, life will squeeze it out. And so just around being the church, building the church, I mean, you know, Cherry said about... Um, Kids' church before. I'm like a huge advocate for kids' church. I taught it for forever. Um, I remember telling my pastor, he said, Darren, I want you to do kids' church. I said, I don't really do kids' church. I do adults' preaching. And he went, if you can't do kids' church, you'll never be able to preach to adults, son. Get in there. <laughs> Next seven years, I did kids' church between services on a Sunday. Worst thing I ever said. But here's the thing. I'm a product of kids' church. I'm a product. I'm the kid. I am that kid that at a young age had a seed sown that I couldn't get away from. I literally would be standing in a nightclub and, and because, you know, I knew about the return of Jesus, I'd be thinking about the fire exits in case something went wrong. <laughs> Everyone else is, you know, getting on their thing and I'd just be standing there going, okay, if this thing blows, 
what am I doing because I want to go to heaven and I'm not ready to go to church. And I'd do that. I'd be on a football field. I remember being standing on a football field while a hundred kilo men run at you. I remember standing at the football field thinking, what if Jesus comes now? Like I would think I was losing my mind, but I wasn't. It was just the Holy Spirit had my attention. Why? Because when I was a kid, someone put things into me that I couldn't shape because the Word of God is not going to return void. But it is powerful, it's effective, the Bible says, and it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. So we should, you know, let's be the church, let's build the church. I know that kids are hard work sometimes, but those kids are going to lead churches. Those kids are going to build marriages. Those kids are going to run businesses. They're going to be educators. Imagine that rather than looking at culture going, wow, the church is in decline. Imagine what we actually did was seed the renewal of the next generation. God only needs a seed to spark a revival. He doesn't need an army. He just needs a few. Put seeds in the kids. So let's just go, you know what? I'm ruined for normal. I'm going to be his church. I'm going to build his church. In Jesus' name, amen.